I'm John McDermott, one of the authors of Clock Watchers. And I'm Stevie Quaint. We would like to welcome our guests to this discussion. Um, two teachers, Jennifer Reinert and Tony Basile. And would the two of you introduce yourselves? I'm Tony Basile, and I'm teaching at Arvada West High School. Uh, I teach three Algebra One courses and a pre-calculus course. The uh, student population at Arvada West is 75% uh, uh, white and uh, then 25% minority, uh, mainly Hispanic, and we have about 25% uh, free and reduced lunch at that school. Um, I'm Jennifer Reinert. I'm teaching at Montbello High School. I teach five Algebra two courses and a student mentoring course. At Montbello, our population is over 90% African American and Hispanic and 10% other, and we're over 90% free and reduced lunch. So, tell us a little bit about um, your attraction to the book and the framework and the six C's. I just naturally found that uh, caring classroom community starting there and then you know adding the challenge and the celebration it, it just sort of a natural process to to get the kids motivated and engaged it uh, obviously doesn't happen the first day it's an ongoing um, process to use on a, on a daily basis each one of those C's and, and uh, you have some pretty neat results at the end. Um, for me the attraction to it is um, especially at Montbello the math it the students struggle in math and so to get them engaged in it helps them to learn and through the university we learned a lot of tools to help us create that caring classroom community and it just kind of flowed from there and um, has escalated into all of the C's. And so Jennifer, you were talking about creating community within your math classroom, and I know, Tony, you made reference to that also. I know that when I work with math teachers, that oftentimes they will, they'll talk about the importance of getting to the math, that they don't have time to do that. In fact, I've heard some people talk about, oh, that's that fluffy stuff that you old English teachers like to do. And so I'm really curious from the two of you about why in the world would you think about taking that time to build a community within your math classrooms? You know, I think it's very important to build that caring classroom community and taking the time initially is going to pay off in the long run because if you don't take that time and build that caring classroom community where those students feel safe, you're not going to be able to do as many things throughout the rest of the semester and the rest of the year. And it also it doesn't stop um, right at the beginning of the semester. It can go throughout the entire semester and the entire year to continue that caring classroom community and show those students through positive phone, uh, phone calls home and things like that. Yeah, I pretty much focus uh, the first two days a lot on building the classroom community because I find that when I do that they can let their guard down if you will and focus on the math and, uh, and be, feel safe about um, participating and collaborating. So let's get specific. Jennifer, going back to you, um, I got to see your entire class up and engaged in a, um, well, sort of a little formative assessment you put together, um, uh, checking on them. Would you talk to us about that card activity I got to observe? Tell um, so the card game was called Quiz Quiz Trade, and the students were working on proofs. And so um, they had a statement on one side of the card and a reason on the other side of the card. And they would get up and find a partner 
and show them the statement and then the partner would have to tell them the reason and if they didn't know the reason then they could give hints but not the answer um, and then they would trade cards and find a new partner and so the room was split in two and the haves had to get to every single person and so if we didn't have that caring classroom community those students wouldn't feel safe to talk to every single person in that room. And how many students were in that room? 36. 36 Whoa. students up and moving Whoa. and engaged and you moving through the group and seeing how they were doing. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of a discussion about the units you two taught recently. So let's start out by each of you sharing a little bit about how well your students performed, a little bit about sort of the pre and post assessment pieces that you did. Tony, you want to start? So I had a unit, it was uh, in regard to linear equations, and I gave a one question pre and post test, it was exactly the same. Uh, and uh, the pre-test I had um, out of a 16-point rubric, four points per, I uh, had one high score of 13, uh, three at 12, and pretty much everything else, everybody else was under 10. Uh, so, uh, in fact, I had one person turn it in uh, with an IDK, I don't know. With regard to the post-test, I was very pleased. I had uh, quite a few uh, students getting either 15 or 16. I think that uh, 80% roughly is where I would go. Okay. Um, for my unit, this was the second unit that I uh, taught to these students, and it was about graphs and transformations of those graphs. And the pre-assessment and post-assessment were identical, like Tony's. And it was out of 45 points originally, and I had a lot of zeros, a lot of 25% um, for the pre-test. And when we went to the post-assessment, <coughs> I saw that one of my questions was not a skills challenge match for those students, and I actually ended up omitting um, that last question, and it dropped down to 35 points was what my final assessment was out of, and I had several students go from getting a zero to getting a 35 out of 35, um, and probably about 80% of my students got either a B or an A on that assessment. Right. And wow. um, like on my previous post-test for the previous unit, I did allow those students to take that test and make those corrections come in and work with me and relearn that material um, to earn back all those points that they missed. You had how many students coming in for help and it was an extra credit and so they basically um, what they were getting out of the help sessions was learning not points. Uh, well this was the second study session that I had held for these students um, right before the post-assessment and the first one I had about three students show up, and the second one I had 15 students show up. Um, there was no extra credit, it was nothing, I had no agenda. They came in and asked the questions they needed help on, and we stayed there for about an hour and a half after school. And these are students that people say they're not interested in learning. They're so, not. Um, okay. they, they are typically students that struggle in math, and they came in and wanted help, and I actually had one student that went from a zero on the pretest to a 31 on the post-test that Whoa. attended that session. So. Whoa. Okay, so when you two think about that, uh, about the difference, you know, what happened in between the pre and the post-test, what what's your hunch about what had the biggest impact in terms of kids being willing to 
be motivated, willing to um, do math, to learn math. I think that, uh, you know, we are continually um, assessing the students uh, to see if our teaching, or I'll speak to, for myself, my teaching is, is getting through or the facilitation is, is working, uh, but not just with the students who get it, but with all students. The, uh, some of this might look like an exit slip, um, you know, and others it might be a question on a poster where they put a little sticky up there so I can get some immediate feedback. You know, are they getting it? Who is? Who isn't? What are the holes in their learning uh, with regard to the math? So, so that's your way of checking in with them throughout the unit. Right. right. And, so. and, and I'm not hearing that necessarily points or grades are involved with this. It, I, right. What I'm hearing is you gathering that information so you have a clue about how to move forward. Yes, yes. And, and then I have, uh, that allows me to differentiate some instruction for some of the kids uh, that, let's say that 80% are getting it and 20% aren't, then I can, um, you know, either have a, you know, a small session with those 20% uh, of the students and, and uh, sort of fill in the gaps, or I might group those uh, heterogeneously with some other students who do get it and, and work on similar skills in the next uh, investigation, so they have some collaboration going on with a student who could help them. Um, along with what Tony does as far as checking in and checking out, I try to um, bring a little humor into my class and have the students, you know, show me that they know it by standing up and doing a popular dance that they Or just bringing some humor into the class. And I also think it helps to, you know, keep those students motivated and engaged and get them from a zero on the pretest to a 35 on the post-test by knowing your students through that caring classroom community and continuing to, you know, give them surveys and learn more about them and how they want to learn and, you know, Knowing what your students need from you, um, I think really helps you to get them from that pretest to that post-test. You know, something that I'm curious about, too, that you were referring to in that last one, and I keep hearing um, in, in what you talk about, and that's that whole nature of challenge. And particularly when you're working at a school in which there are kids who are, who come from, uh, who are, are basically poor kids. Um, how do you think about challenge? when there's so much going on and they may not have had some of uh, the support along the way academically? Well, for me, I don't lower my standards um, because of that. I, and, and when I figure out it's not a skills challenge match, I can adjust then, but I You know what, though? Talk about that. Talk, explain that a little bit more. Flesh that out for us. So the skills challenge match, um, specifically with that one question, um, there were several parts to the question and they had to pull from that word problem and create the equation and then do the math that I wanted them to do. And their skills were not, they could do the part that I wanted them to, but they didn't have enough skills to create those um, equations from the word problem, which, it, which I thought they would. And so um, there, there was more challenge than they had skills. And you want a little more challenge than their skill um, so that they're motivated, but this was too much. Mm -hmm. um, and then they shut off and they aren't able to do it, and I got a lot of IDKs, um, uh, especially from my top performing students, which is why I knew it wasn't a skills challenge match. Tell everyone about the challenge of your post-assessments, because you both involved transfer in there. A PTA board was planning a graduation party, and the 
students were had volunteered because they wanted to have an awesome party, and so they were volunteering to find the DJ for the party, and they had found a couple of different DJs that were available and were really good, and they were comparing the costs of those DJs in a, uh, two linear equations to, and finding out where they intersect. And they weren't provided how many hours the party was, so they had to interpret, well, since I don't know how many hours the party is, you know, when is which one better and when is it the same, and, uh, and go from there. So you tried to choose something that was authentic, they might run into sometime, mm -hmm. and also something that might be of interest to them by using the DJs and the music. Well, it's also answering the question about, so who needs this stuff? Right, right. So my assessment was four questions um, for my, my first unit, and they, at, at the top of it, it was, congratulations, you've just won the presidential election by a landslide. And so all four questions were about problems that the president would face and using the math that they've learned through this unit to solve those problems. And they were all in word poems, and they had multiple parts of them. It was a huge unit that we did, and I tied in four questions. And um, so it was completely transfer. It was pretty challenging, but a lot of the students did very well. But if you could choose one collaborative sort of uh, problem solving or activity that you put together for these students to share and talk a little bit about how you did it and why you did it. So my group work um, was groups of three, and it was randomly selected at this time. And I actually handed them Monopoly money as they walked in, and so they had to find the other people that had the dollars or the five dollars or the chance cards. Um, so they were randomly grouped in groups of three. And the task was to, I gave no instruction whatsoever, and they had to, with their set of data, create a line of fit. Um, and then tell me the rules that they followed with that. And they did this on posters, and they were going to present them. So let me make sure I'm, uh, let me clarify for me. So you didn't tell them how to do this in advance? No. You gave them the problem, and they had to set up the paradigm or the algorithm to solve this. Exactly. Okay. Um, so there was no instruction. They had to work together as a group of three to figure out how they were going to create this line of fit, how they were going to graph these, this data, and what rules they followed to actually do that. Um, they did have roles. We had a facilitator who kept everybody on track. We had um, the writer, and we had the presenter. Um, and the facilitator also um, got all the materials, so they had two jobs. Um, and so the students worked um, in groups, and because of everybody's role, they all had to work together to solve the problem because there was not one person solving the problem, but the students were doing other things to get that poster created. Yeah, what's interesting to me is, and I don't know if, if you're thinking about this, is when I saw you do the card activity, you modeled it for them in advance. I did. You show, you got there with a the student and you said, here's what we're going to do, etc. Um, I also saw you earlier with uh, your students modeling group work by asking students how are we going to go about doing this, etc. So I've seen you do that. Does that match or am I imagining that? Yeah, no. Um, we do a lot of modeling to show those students. Um, and I, for that particular one, I don't think I did anything. That was the first time they had a facilitator role. So I explained it a little bit, but um, there has been previous modeling and practice. And, and I think that's key. We talk about modeling, but 
it's that gradual release of responsibility. You've modeled, they've worked in groups, you've modeled, they've worked in groups. Now maybe we don't have to do so much modeling yeah, yeah. individually, <laughs> take the scaffold away. Yeah. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about choice and celebration in your units and uh, maybe zero in on a couple of those elements and tell us a little bit about what you did and why you did it. Who would like to begin? Okay. Well, the investigation I was telling you about, I had a, a way of celebrating their success. I had broke down the activity into multiple steps, chunks, if you will, and uh, as they accomplished a certain amount of the investigation, they would be rewarded with a little stamp. You know, we have a little bear claw because that's the school emblem, and they and I would stamp their their work up to that point, and I was. You know, these are ninth graders, and I didn't know how it would come across, but I was surprised at how motivated these kids were to, to get the work done and make sure that I came and stamped their work. And <laughs> it was, you know, you know, there's 29 of them, and they're in groups of two, and I'm trying to, you know, get to all these groups and stamp, and they're calling me from one side to the other <laughs> side. And, uh, it was just this excitement going on in the classroom for these silly little stamps that... Is that you know, acknowledgement? Hey, yeah, I did something well. Absolutely. So, yeah. so that was uh, just a real simple form of celebration that they got, you know, the stamp to recognize that they actually did the work and got it done. And, and it, was, it was really exciting, that uh -huh. part of it. Great, great. Um, the celebration that I want to talk about actually is mentioned in the book as um, an auction for a mini-celebration. And throughout the unit, um, my students earned poker chips through 90% or higher on a test uh, or on a quiz. They got point, uh, poker chips for completed classwork and completed homework. So um, I kept tally of that for all of my students. And at the end, I totaled it up. And after the post-assessment, I gave everybody their poker chips. And... Um, it was a blind auction, and I went to the dollar spot at Target and <laughs> bought just silly things, Hello Kitty pens and princess tattoos and cookies and homework passes and get out of tardy free cards. And so the students um, got their poker chips, and they were able to auction, and it was a blind auction. They didn't know what they were auctioning for, so they were, you know, taking that risk of, you know, what did, what did my teacher buy for me? Is it extra homework? What is it? What am I going to do? And so... They were willing to take that risk, and the students just loved it, and I bought enough for, so that every student could get one thing, um, and some got more, and we actually had parent-teacher conferences the next night, and the students had told their parents, and they just said that it was like one of the funnest things that they had done, and it was just a celebration because they did so well through that unit, so it was yeah. really fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, choice. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about choice. How in the world can you think about choice in a math classroom? Um, for me, I think choice is really, really important um, to have those students have a say in what they're learning and um, how they're learning it. And so um, my students get to choose things like their roles. They get to choose what they do. Um, they get to choose. We did an activity where there were five corners for a review activity, and they got to choose what they needed to review. So they knew where they were weak before that unit test, and they got to choose where they needed to go. And that helped them zero in on what they needed help on and giving them that say in their classroom. There was a class that 
I was trying a little direct instruction, thinking that was the appropriate time for it, and I was uh, dead wrong. As <laughs> <laughs> we often are. <laughs> yeah, the, the students uh, started advocating for themselves. Uh, they said that we don't understand what you're telling us. You know, we want to see if we can do it. So pretty much, I turned over the power of the pen. They took the pen. They went to the board and they said, is this what you're doing? Uh, another student would come up, so the dynamics was that they were choosing to teach themselves, and I became, uh, well, a facilitator in the back of the room and, and maybe helping at least, you know, the classroom management, uh, but I really didn't have to do much of that either. And what's very interesting about giving students control is there there is a body of research out there that suggests that giving them that control actually contributes to intrinsic motivation. And that's where we really want to go with these students. So I think that's just such an important element of what we do. I'm just thinking I wish I'd been in your class with you know, either one of you when I was back in school learning math. Yeah. Oh, I made a difference for me.